0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. When I was growing up, from the time I was a small child well into my late teens, my dad and I went fishing pretty regularly. In fact, my cousin got married about 10 or 12 years ago, and I was the best man at his wedding. And one of the gifts that he gave me for being his best man was a framed picture of him and me and my dad sitting on a boat. When we were both probably five years old, and I'm sitting there with a big, goofy grin on my face, He is sitting there in a life jacket, looking off into the distance nervously, and my dad is also sitting there, young and tanned, with a head full of hair, peeking out from under the bill of his cap. Um, My dad, I mean, I didn't inherit a lot of hair from my dad, so there you go. (laughs) We didn't go every weekend, but we would go every two or three months out to one of the lakes around the Phoenix area. And because we weren't out there every weekend, a fishing trip meant a lot of time and preparation. We would have to check all of our gear to make sure that everything was in working order because the thing about fishing poles is that the line gets tangled somehow when they're just sitting in the garage. So you've gotta make sure that the line isn't tangled and you've gotta make sure your tackle box is ready You've got to check the boat to make sure the battery isn't dead and the tires haven't gone flat on the trailer since the last trip you took. And my favorite part was you've got to pack the cooler. You've got to make sure you have lots of snacks and drinks. We would always pack dinner to take with us. And we would then have to get in the car and drive for about an hour because here in the desert, the closest lakes are all about an hour or so away. And so finally, after a day full of preparation and travel, we would get there late in the afternoon. We would go out to one of our favorite spots. We would eat the dinner that we had packed and wait for the sun to start setting because that's the time that everybody knows the fish start biting, is around sunset. And so we would fish often late into the night, well past midnight, and by the time we would get off the water, I was exhausted. And I have never been the kind of person who easily falls asleep in the car, but I can tell you on those, drive, on those drives home, whatever, I would be—that didn't sound right— I would be so tired that I could not keep my eyes open. It was exhausting. So my own limited experience with fishing, hard work, long days, lots of preparation, feeling exhausted, got me wondering, how would professional fishermen, people like Andrew, Peter, James, and John, have heard the call to go and fish for people? So I did some research, because what I suspect is that we think that they were just going to go out and talk to people about their faith in Jesus. And they were going to kind of be like street corner evangelists. But I don't think that's what they understood this to mean. Because Jesus is speaking the language of fishing to people whose lives are fishing. And the research that I, that I found suggests that they probably suspected they were signing up for a pretty hard job. According to the CDC, to this day, many commercial fishing operations are characterized by hazardous working conditions, strenuous labor, long work hours, and harsh weather. In fact, the death rate among professional commercial fishers is about 40% higher than it is in the national average among all working people. It's a dangerous job. And the hard work, the long hours, the risk of injury or death, these are things that are all the same because it's bad weather and leaky boats and rocks and sandbars that you can't see. These are all of the same risks that fisher people today face that the people in first century Galilee also would have faced. And of course, if you've ever been fishing, you know that finding the fish is not an easy job in and of itself. And many websites say that fishing today is getting even harder year by year because of problems like overfishing, because of problems like fish piracy, which is a real thing, people who violate the maritime boundaries of sovereign countries and take the fish stocks from other nations. Plastics in the ocean, the fish are eating them, and it's causing them to get sick and die. And so there are fewer fish as a result. As a result of this, people are trying to use technology to get around the problem of there not being enough fish. You know these sonar fish finders, things you can put on the bottom of your boat that tell you where the fish are hiding? That industry is in a boom right now. Over the, ne- over the course of this decade, market analysts predict that it's going to grow 7% year over year, into a $900 million per year industry by the year 2030. The fish are harder to find than ever, and people are looking for them desperately. So the call that they probably heard as fisher people standing there listening to Jesus talk was a call that guaranteed hard work, a high probability of pain and sacrifice, and a low probability of eventual success. And I think that's important for us to remember because when we read this story today, we already know the ending. We know that Peter and Andrew and James and John are going to go on to become great disciples and evangelists. They're going to become the cornerstones of the early church they're going to become wonderful preachers and teachers and carry on Jesus' ministry of healing and reconciliation. But they didn't know that. In fact, Matthew's gospel tells us that Jesus had just moved to town from Nazareth, which is about 40 miles away. And this new guy is walking around preaching a message that they've never heard before, because the Jewish people have been waiting for God's kingdom to come to the earth for generations. And here is this new guy walking around saying, the kingdom of God has come near. Now is the time. And they're not quite sure what he's talking about, but they know that it stirs something in their heart. They know that they feel something in his presence, and it makes them curious. So when Jesus asks these fishermen to come and fish for people, they don't know exactly what they're signing up for, other than long hours and hard work. But they say yes anyway. They were all in the same spot together, and they all followed, leaving their nets, the life that they had knew, known. And they followed Jesus. But maybe there is even more to this story. Because Herod the Great had ruled in the territories of Israel and Palestine until his death in the year 4 CE. And the Roman emperor had a brilliant idea. Because this was a huge expanse of land at the crossroads of Europe and the Middle East and Africa. And rather giving so much land and authority to one person the Roman emperor divided it up into three different territories and gave one of those territories to one of Herod's heirs. And the northern territory of Galilee is where Herod's most ambitious son, Herod Antipas, the guy who is the same Herod who puts this entire story into motion today by arresting John the Baptist and will shortly execute him after his arrest. He was the most ambitious son. He wanted to be even greater than his dad, and he did everything in his power to make his own political ambitions come true, and that included building a new grand territorial capital for himself on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And in one of the most blatant acts of flattery and kissing up in all of recorded history, he decided to name his new imperial Roman city Tiberius, after the Roman emperor. And Tiberius was not a popular place to be at first, because Herod Antipas had chosen the site of an ancient burial ground to build this city, So according to the Jewish people who lived there, the city was defiled, but he didn't care. By forced relocation, he made people move there, and slowly over time, the city of Tiberias became one of the most important centers for government and commerce in the entire region of Galilee. But according to historian John Crossan, that's not the entire story still, because through Tiberias, through this city, Herod opened up the Sea of Galilee to Roman commercial fishermen, people who had a lot of money and a lot of resources who would come and take the fish from the Sea of Galilee and export them to the marketplaces around the rest of the empire. Suddenly, small fishermen, family operations like the sons of Zebedee and the ones that Peter and Andrew probably worked for as well, were being crowded out because they couldn't compete with the might and the wealth of the empire and its economic engine that was taking their resources and sending them elsewhere. So in a few years, the Sea of Galilee started to go by a different name. You probably have noticed this inconsistency in the Gospels when it's sometimes called the Sea of Tiberias. The people who lived there gave up. They threw up their hands and said, this is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be. And the disciples who had been on the water every day experienced this change firsthand. They were the ones who were being crowded out and displaced. They were the ones who were being left without jobs and without a future. So when Jesus shows up and invites them on this mission, with a low probability of success and a high probability of personal sacrifice, there is one more layer to it because he says, by the way, we're going to be working against the economic might of an empire that's far greater than any of us. They knew when they signed up to do this that they were agreeing to long hours and late nights and hard work, and they said yes anyway. They knew they were signing up for days that would be full of struggle and frustration, the kinds of days that Paul describes in the letter to the Corinthians, when the people that they're trying to corral and tell about the kingdom of God start fighting with each other. And they said yes anyway. They knew this might cost them everything, including their life, and they said yes anyway. They knew they would be fighting an uphill battle on almost every imaginable front, and they said yes anyway. And friends, with the news out of Los Angeles this morning about yet another mass shooting in this country that has left at least 10 people dead, possibly more, we realize that we too still face an uphill battle fighting against a culture that tolerates and sometimes glorifies violence, that continues to leave people exploited and marginalized. It's an uphill battle for sure, but this has always been the way that the Spirit has moved in the world through the faithful few, people from unexpected places who are willing to give their all to see God's kingdom made manifest on earth. And in an era when so many people around the world and around the church are starting to wring their hands about the decline in the church, we would do well to remember that the call to go fishing is not at all about building a church. It's about transforming the world. And we would do well to remember that God's kingdom has always advanced in the most unlikely of circumstances. The prophet Isaiah, writing hundreds of years before Christ, says, during another time of persecution, and oppression and uncertainty, that there is hope, that the insignificant and forgotten people who live far away from Jerusalem, outside of the centers of power, the people who live in the middle of nowhere at the crossroads of the world, they are the ones who have experienced hope, who have seen the light. And Jesus takes on this prophetic mantle for himself, The message that he proclaims is not entirely new because he is borrowing from that same prophetic tradition that said, if you look beyond what you can see, the despair and the violence, you realize that God's kingdom is all around and it's time for us to work toward a new creation, one that is not built on the pain and suffering of the present creation. And friends, we today are being called to join in that struggle as well. We still face long odds and an uphill battle. And the question for us today is if we will say yes and join anyway.